This Good Friday, tonight's sermon is titled, From Darkness to Light, From Darkness to Light, and will be in Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 54, but let me set the scene for you. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, grew up to around the age of 30 and then began a public ministry where he was baptized, where he was tempted in the wilderness, where he went from town to town preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand to repent and to believe the gospel. And he was healing people and raising the dead. He was providing for the sick and the needy. He was rebuking the self-righteous. He was raising up disciples. The expectation was that he was going to go in and to overthrow Room and restore, overthrow Rome and restore the throne of David in Jerusalem and bring in a new golden age to the nation of Israel. But instead, after he had a Passover meal that he turned into the Last Supper with his disciples, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where one of his own disciples betrayed him. The rest forsook him. He went through a mock trial, through beatings and scourgings and mockings, carrying his own cross and the most shameful death that there was, a death of the cross, stripped naked, suspended between heaven and earth, nailed to a cross, made from a tree that he had created. And as he was on the cross... There's something very significant that happens here that I think we kind of read over this verse because there's so much happening on the cross. But there's something to the darkness that came over the land. And that's what I want to focus on for a little bit tonight. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour there was darkness over all the land. Now the Jewish people this point in history counted the beginning of their day from about 6 a.m. So to say it was the sixth hour, this would have been noon. To the ninth hour, this would have been 3 p.m. So from noon to 3. At this point, at this time in the world, that would have been the time of day where the sun was reaching its zenith. The, the time when it was directly overhead, when it should have been the brightest. And there are people that have studied uh, the way that eclipses and, and other phenomenon have happened in the solar system over the centuries and to provide explanations for this. But this is the hand of God. This is God doing something at this exact time. And as this exact time, at this exact time when the Son of God is dying, when he is bearing the sins of the world, when he is suffering the wrath of the Father, Darkness comes and it's over all the land. And then verse 46, it says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, This man is calling for Elijah. They're saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That Eli, Eli. They thought maybe he's calling for Elijah. They didn't hear him good. So immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. 
Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Again, the darkness is over the land. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and rocks were split. Again, darkness is covering the land. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming up out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. But, you know, going back to verse 45, where it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And we know that about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out, and then he yields up his spirit. And all of these events are taking place. Why the darkness, though? That's the question that I've had. Because metaphors in Scripture, they have meaning, and... The overwhelming metaphor of God is that of light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, Jesus has gone through his baptism. He's gone through the temptation. He's beginning his public ministry. He's preaching. And what happens there in Matthew 4 is Matthew says that thus a great light is shining on those in darkness. It's describing Jesus' ministry as a great light shining on people in darkness. So if God is light, if Jesus' ministry is a ministry of light, if, if this is in essence the kind of the climax of his ministry, I mean, other than the resurrection, I mean, this is what all time has been building towards. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. How, how could you in this climactic moment... Have darkness cover the land. Wouldn't you think that there'd be some great heavenly spotlight illuminating Jesus? Wouldn't you think that, that God the Father would, would say, I want everyone to see my son. I, I want no one to miss what's happening here. What's the deal with the darkness over all the land? What's the deal with the darkness on the cross? Well, again, there are metaphors and scriptures that are used different ways. You know, we we know that Satan is a roaring lion, and he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. We understand that imagery, right? But who else is a lion? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So you have to be careful with these metaphors in Scripture. They mean different things at different times with different people. Same thing with the thief metaphor. Satan is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what is the most popular metaphor used by Jesus to describe his own return? He's going to come as a what? A thief in the night. So God has the ability to take and use the metaphors that he wants to in his time and in his choosing to describe things about himself. And one of the things that I learned as I studied this, I just couldn't get past verse 45, is that God uses the metaphor, the image, he uses darkness, darkness, to announce his presence over and over again throughout Scripture. It's kind of odd. But look at Joel chapter 2 with me. Joel is one of what we call the minor prophets, and he speaks a lot of the day of the Lord. 
And it's not just Joel. This same language is found in Amos. This same language is found in Zephaniah. I've just picked Joel for time's sake. But look at Joel chapter 2. And I think if we understand this darkness in the presence of God, it will help us to understand what was going on at the cross even more. Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. That's the day of the Lord. It's the day when God would show up to save his people and to judge his enemy. The day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So when God shows up, it's his presence. Look how it's described, verse 2, a day of what? Darkness. What? I thought God was light. Why, why is the day of the Lord described as a day of darkness and gloominess? A day of clouds, don't forget that, and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never seen, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. This isn't just some anomaly where God's presence is described as darkness. Look at verse 10 of Joel 2. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Skip over to verse 28 of Joel 2. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young, young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into what? Darkness. And the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And then one last passage, Joel 3 verses 14 through 16. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow what? Dark. And the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will also roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Again, while most often when we think of God, we think of his presence, we think of light. I mean, that's how he's described. But there's this overwhelming description of God and the day of the Lord when he shows up throughout the Old Testament. We've just read a few verses. Again, you can go to Amos and Zephaniah where God's presence is announced with darkness. Well, what's going on there? Colin read earlier our scripture reading that darkness and light, they're the same to him. I think at least one of the things that's going on here is that what God is telling us is that he rules over all of his creation. And just because there is darkness does not mean that God is absent. It's not like there's a part of God's creation where God says, no, 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 I don't go there. I said, even in the darkness, you find the presence of God. And sometimes God even uses the darkness to announce his presence. You know what that speaks of? It speaks of a king who's in complete control of his creation. 
And even those that are in rebellion to him have to bend to his will at his choosing. And at the time of his choosing, all rebellion will one day cease. But what's the deal, again, with the darkness of the cross? I want to go to one more passage in the Old Testament. I promise I'm building to something here. In Exodus chapter 19, we see the darkness again with the presence of God. Again, why, why darkness? Why is God choosing this? Why at the cross? In Exodus chapter 19, we'll see in just a minute, I'm going to read you verses 16 through 18. But I want to set the stage. What's happened is God has delivered the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. There's been a great exodus And God is bringing them to the promised land. God is freeing them. What is this a metaphor of? It's Jesus who who is that second Moses who comes who delivers us from the bondage of sin, right? But as God is delivering the children of Israel from Egypt and he brings them to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the place of God's presence where he meets with his people. What happens in that moment? Is there a, a bright light that's shining? Do the clouds part and it's... A bright noonday sun? No. Again, look at this. It's interesting. Exodus 19, verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire and smoke, ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Do you know in Hebrews 2, when it's given us a commentary of this, it's saying that God appeared in thick darkness. And if you go earlier, back to Exodus 10, the ninth plague was a plague of what? A plague of darkness. But God showing us that he rules over even the darkness did this. God caused a plague of darkness to be out all throughout Egypt. Except where God wanted it to be light. And you know where there was light? In the land of Goshen where the Israelites dwelt. You see, God is telling us that all of his creation is under his control. And if he wants to use a great darkness to announce his presence, that's what he can do. And often in Scripture, what actually happens is the darkness with God's presence is a symbol that God is showing up to judge. He is showing up to judge sin and to vindicate his people. And that's what I want you to see. In Exodus, in the plague, the ninth plague at Sinai, the covenant, it was all about being his people. Fast forwarding through the day of the Lord, it was all about when God was going to show up and he was going to judge sin and he was going to vindicate his people. And what accompanying the presence of God in that day of judgment was a great darkness. So with all of that background, let's go back to Matthew 27, 45. And all of that just to build what I want to explain to you now. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Here's what was happening. Jesus, the sinless son of God. Don't miss that. The sinless son of God. Jesus having no sin of his own. Jesus never thought a wrong thought that was sinful. Jesus never thought something that was offensive to the father that condemned him before God. 
Jesus never did any sort of an act that tarnished his sinless nature. Jesus never spoke a word that was sinful. In word and thought and deed, in every way, Jesus had no sin of his own. Completely without guilt, completely without shame, completely of the light. And what was happening on the cross was in some ways the most unjust thing that has ever taken place. And yet justice was being served. Because Jesus, who had no sin of his own, was taking every time that we have sinned in word upon himself. He was taking every time that we have sinned in our thought life. And he was taking it upon himself. He was taking every action that we've ever done or will ever do, and he was taking upon himself. And what the light was doing was taking all of our darkness upon himself. To the extent that the Bible says that he who knew no sin, not just took our sin, but became sin. And the darkness that came over the land was not the absence of the Father, but it was the Father striking the Son in our place. And I want you to see that this Good Friday. I want you to understand that this Good Friday. The, the darkness of the cross was not God being absent. It was the full wrath of a mountain-shaking holy God bearing down with all of his fury on the Son in our place. That's the wrath. That's the darkness. That's the day of the Lord in which God was judging sin that we might be saved. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not that God was absent in that moment. It's that the relationship with the Father and the Son became broken for the first time in all eternity past because the Son was becoming sin and receiving the wrath of the Father. And in that moment, the day of the Lord took place. And darkness was the presence of God as the Son was struck main point tonight is this, to put it in a more concise way, is this. The darkness of the cross was the wrath of God poured out as a substitute took our place. Through his death, Jesus made it possible for us to be called from darkness to light. I want to say that again. The darkness of the cross was the wrath. Every bit of God's wrath that is due us. Every bit of God's wrath that God would be just to pour out upon us. It was being poured out upon his son in our place. And it is through his death, it is through Jesus experiencing the darkness of the day of the Lord. That we can be called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. It's because that took place. When I was a kid, my mom used to sing about four times a season for the Dallas Mavericks. She would sing the, um, the uh, Star Spangled Banner, or the, what am I trying to say? Not the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm getting every song in my head except the National Anthem. <laughs> every other song was in my head except the right one. And my mom would sing the National Anthem, and because she was singing the National Anthem for the game, 
we got floor seats to the Mavericks games. And so we got to go right down on the floor. And the seats that we got, there were always the seats right behind the visiting team's bench. And so I got to, like in the 80s, growing up as a kid, I got to sit like right behind Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. I mean, talking about Akeem Olajuwon, all of these greats of the 80s and the 90s, I get to give them a high five and, you know, a hand on their way out the tunnel. And they were sitting right there, playing right there. Fifth, sixth grade kid getting to experience it. Have a, a book filled with autographs, in fact, from that time. But, you know, if you just step back from the scene and you look at it, you go, what in the world is that kid doing down there? I remember one time uh, some people had left where the visiting team bench was. It was right here and on the end of the court right here some people had left. So I snuck over here and, and I sat on this corner and we were playing the Orlando Magic. And Shaquille O'Neal uh, came out of the game at the end because they were beating us so bad. And he sat on the floor next to me. And I'm sitting in a chair looking at him in the eyes. That's how big he was. But you look at it and you go, what is that kid doing there? First of all, I did not have the money to pay to be there. Second of all, I had no authority to demand a place down there. I wasn't on the team. I, I had no right to be there in and of myself. I could not pay to be there. There was nothing in me that I added to the situation where people would say, hey, we, we need Paul Michael down here. I had nothing to bring to that situation, I had no right to be there. I had no ability to pay for myself to be in that spot, in that moment. I was there completely because of who I was with. I was there because I was with my mom who had the right to be there. Fast forward to us some 2,000 years after the cross. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the right to access the throne of grace to find help in your time of need, not because of anything you've done or who you are, but because of who you are with. And who you are with is the Son of God who took the darkness of the wrath of God in your place. You have the right to call out Abba, Father, and to know that God has promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you, not because of who you are or what you bring to the table or what you've done, but because of who you are with. You are with the Son who has taken your place on the cross, receiving the darkness that was due you. You have the ability to be dwelt by God's Spirit. In fact, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are dwelt with God's Spirit. The same God that shook the mountain, that caused the people to be afraid, that said, we're not going near. Moses, you go near. That same God now dwells in you. You are his temple. Not because you have earned it, not because you are deserving of it, not because you are worthy of it, not because you can bring God anything to pay for it or to acquire his presence presence in your life, but because of who you are with, you are with the sun. And the sun has taken the darkness in your place. And because the sun has taken the darkness, we can be called from darkness into God's marvelous light. And so again, this Good Friday, I want you to think about Matthew 27, 45, how darkness covered the land 
And I want you to understand that the darkness that covered the land was not the absence of the presence of God. It was the full wrath of the Father. It was a day of the Lord. It was the holiness of God poured out upon the Son in our place. I have one last passage for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, you know, Easter is coming, Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. We're not there yet. We want to maintain our focus on the cross, but I want to give you just a glimpse of what is coming. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, what's the ministry? It's this ministry of, of glory that we have in Jesus Christ. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Though we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience to the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded. They do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God, don't miss this, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. It was the day when God said, let there be light, and light shone. Who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's the miracle of the gospel. God sees the darkness of our hearts. It's not hidden. God knows the darkness of our hearts. There's nothing that we can do to cover it up from him. We're laid bare before him. And in his mercy and in his grace, he's not left us in our darkness, but he's given us Jesus Christ. And he has called us through his son from darkness into light. And he has done it to such an extent, this is the amazing thing, that God, in calling us from darkness to light, now, by his grace, we are ambassadors of the light. That God's light and his glory would actually be made known through us to a world in need. So this Good Friday, let us look at the cross. Let us understand the one who took the darkness in our place. But let us remember that because Jesus not only died, but because he rose again, we are called from darkness and into light. I'm going to pray, and then Colin is going to come. Colin and Claire are going to lead us in a song, a song of reflection. It's kind of maybe a different way to close our service, but just as you are where you're at, this is a song to reflect upon that Jesus who was on a cross, hanging in our place, Dying in our place, receiving the darkness in our place, that we could be called from darkness into light. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you are for us, you are not against us. I thank you that there is no part of your created order that is beyond you. And that you can cause the darkness to bend to your will and to even announce your presence. 
And that in the darkness, the Son of God took our place, bearing the wrath of the Father, bearing my guilt and my shame, that in the great mercy of God, I don't have to remain in darkness, but I can be called from darkness to light. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for being our substitute. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.